reading is from Colossians chapter 1. Um? Oh, it was, <laughs> it was Colossians on the sheet that I got given. Oh, well. Uh, oh, thank you. All right. Sorry about that. It's Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. Right. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the God, Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Um, we're looking at um, Ephesians chapter 4, and it's a kind of a spiritual um, MOT, um, a kind of a health check for us as a church. Um, as I said last week, not because I th- I'm trying to get any, at any particular issues, but because I think all of us as Christians and as churches, we need at times just to stop, reflect, think about what's, what's important and what God, what God might be saying to us uh, as individuals and as a body um, of his people. So as we, we begin, let's just pray together. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher today. Open up truths to us that have been revealed to you by the Father and by the Son. Help us to see the Lord Jesus this morning in a fresh and a new way. And continue that process of changing us, Lord, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like you to imagine in your mind a building site where a new palace is being built for the Queen. There are skips, there's scaffolding, there's dust sheets, there's piles of sand and bricks everywhere. So you enter the construction site very cautiously. It's a dusty, chaotic, risky place to be. So you tread carefully as you walk around. But as you look up, you notice that someone's there. It's none other than Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth. She's sitting, eating her cornflakes and reading the Daily Mail amidst all the dust 
and the rubble. She's moved in before the building is ready. And you're just amazed that royalty should grace themselves to such a dump as this. She see, she didn't wait until the palace is built before she moves in. She moves in while the work is still in progress. Have you ever considered that that's what God has done? God is living in his church by his spirit, a building that's very much a work in progress. And when we talk about building, I'm not talking about the bricks and mortars. You know, it's, it's us that are the church. And Paul, the writer of this letter to uh, the Ephesians, he says in chapter 2, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God lives among his people in the half-finished building that we call the church. Isn't that amazing? And he knows that we are a work in progress. And yet he comes and he lives among us. And this morning we're going to see all that God has given us to help us to become mature in our faith, to become the completed building he intends. And we're going to see some other things that matter to God. We looked at some last week. This week we're thinking about how grace matters, how words matter, and how maturity matters. So first of all, grace matters. I don't know what you think about the church. Perhaps sometime you'd like to tell me. Not just this church, but the church in general. This is what Justin Greening, the Education and Women and Equalities Minister, said recently. She said, I think it's important that the church keeps up and is part of a modern country. I think people do want to see our major faiths keep up with modern attitudes in our country. And she may have a point. Maybe we do need to become more relevant and more current. But for many people, um, and even some of our MPs, the church has become irrelevant. They consider that it's out of step with the rest of society and with the new values we have. In their opinion, it's outdated and no longer plays a key role in modern society. But of course, God has a very different picture of the church because the church has got a key part to play in God's plans. Listen to what Ephesians 1 verse 10 says about God's goal for the world and for our future. It says to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So in a world that's divided to a planet that seems to be at times self-destructing and to a human race that seems intent on destroying each other, God's plan is to bring everything together under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's what's going to happen, because that is God's eternal plan. And that's why church matters. Church is part of God's plan to bring everything together. See, the church isn't just some kind of social club that's trying to make a world, the world a better place. The church is at the heart and the center of God's plan. And to look at the church is to see how God is already bringing people together under Christ. It's a place where young and old and married and single and disabled and able people, and people of all cultures and religious backgrounds, become one family in Jesus Christ. And we know that in all good families, they have their squabbles and they have their fallouts, and we know the church is not immune from these either. We are work in progress, and we haven't arrived there yet, but we will. So how is God going to complete this work? Let's read in verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. See, it's all about grace. 
Grace is how our journey began as Christians, and it's how it continues. Paul's already reminded the Christians in the church at Ephesus that they were saved by grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. That's where our Christian journey begins. We're acceptable to God, not because we're good people, because of our family background, because of our nationality. None of that counts for anything. It's only when we accept what Christ has done for us on the cross that we receive his forgiveness, the new life that he promises us. It's just grace. We don't earn it and we don't deserve it. It's a free gift. And grace means that God gives us everything that we need. He saved us by grace and now we see it's by his grace that he enables us to serve one another. So if that's saving grace, then we're going to be now thinking about God's serving grace. And we read in verse 7, to each one of us, grace has been given. I don't know whether you think that you've got gifts that could be shared with the church, but if you're a Christian, then God has given you a gift to share with others, to bless others. And in our next section, we're going to see why these gifts are important. And we're going to see why they matter, because that's the way the church is built up to maturity. The gifts are Jesus' way in which the church can be united. So let's look at these gifts and what their purpose is, as we see that words matter. Let's look in verse 7. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Those intriguing words um, that Paul quotes are from from Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 is is a psalm to celebrate uh, victory in battle. It describes a victory parade with the armies of God, displaying all their prisoners that they've captured and all the treasures that they've won, uh, which they intend to distribute to the people. It's hard for us to visualize this because that doesn't happen today. But I guess we got a glimpse of it with the um, victory parade um, that happened just after the Olympic Games. I don't know whether you remember seeing on television or whether you were in Manchester City Centre when the uh, Olympians um, paraded through Manchester City Centre as as they stood on the top of the double-decker bus and held up their medals as they glinted in the sun. Or was it the rain? I don't remember. But they showed everybody all the things that they'd won, all that they'd achieved through their victories. So Paul is using the image of a triumphal procession to help us to see that Jesus, by his death and by his resurrection and by his ascension to heaven, has won the victory. He's a conquering king. And he wants to give away gifts to celebrate all that's been achieved. So what are these gifts? Well, let's look in verse 11. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... Now, Paul hasn't given us a complete list of all the gifts that we find in in the New Testament in this particular passage. Um, In another place in in the New Testament, he writes how there's a variety of gifts for the common good. But here, he's focused on those ones that are really important to build up the church. 
And you'll see that they're gifts that are associated with, if you like, word ministry. Last week, we saw how important our behavior and our actions towards each other are. And here, the focus is on how important our words are to one another. And all these gifts that God gives come in the shape of people. He begins with apostles. And Paul's already described in chapter 2 how the teaching from the apostles is foundational. Apostles, as you know, were men who'd met the risen Christ and had a key role in establishing the teaching that we have in the Bible. And if we move away from these foundations, then we're not going to be building the church. And we don't seek unity at any cost. It has to be a unity that's built on the apostles' foundation and the the teaching that we find in the Bible. So we're not going to change it because there are new emerging values which contradict with them. We may change the way we express what we think or the way we communicate it, but those core truths remain for us as Christians. The next gift um, I mentioned are prophets. Now, prophets, as we know, are people who bring a message from God. But the modern-day prophets aren't equivalent to Scripture. Prophecy is a particular word for a particular congregation at a particular time by a particular person. And of course, we need to be open to what the Spirit is saying to us and how he may prompt us. But those words and pictures that are shown must always be weighed against Scripture because they're just temporary, whereas the Bible is for everyone, everywhere, and for all time. The next um, gift we see is the gift of evangelism. Now, we're all called to be witnesses uh, in our jobs, in our families, in our communities. Um, and, but that we know that there are some people who are really gifted at explaining the gospel to others. I think that's what it means here by the gift of evangelism. And I'm hoping in the new year that we might do a course together in our growth groups and also consider those issues on Sunday mornings as we think about how our workplaces, how our families, how our communities are our front lines in terms of sharing the gospel with others. Next in the list, we see pastor teachers, people whose role it is to both teach and to pastor others. And notice how those two things are put together, to teach God's truth, both formally in this kind of a setting, but also informally as well, as we meet and encourage each other. And of course, all these gifts are for one purpose. Look in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the main purpose of preachers, teachers, pastors, and prophets um, are using their skills that God has given them is to build up God's people, to release them into ministry. You see, the focus here isn't on church leaders. It's on just the ordinary, everyday members of the church who are called to be ministers. We're all called to minister to one another to use the gifts that God has given us to share. That might mean standing up here and teaching in church, or it might be involved in the Sunday school. It might be a growth group leader. But just as importantly, it's it's about sharing a faith, what we believe at home, at work, in the playground, in the coffee shop, or wherever we might meet other people. And it includes the conversations we have after the service, the casual interaction we have with another Christian when we meet them shopping in Asda the opportunity to share with others what God is doing in your life. Sermons aren't just about transferring information. Their purpose is to equip all of us to minister to one another. another. 
Some of you know that we, Irene and myself, served as um, missionaries with InterServe a number of years ago. And when we felt um, our time had come to an end in Pakistan, we felt God was drawing us back to the UK and back into our professions. And after lots of applications, I was offered a job in the NHS in Bolton. And we had two weeks to find somewhere to live before the kids needed to start school. And we didn't know anyone in Bolton because we're Southerners, as you probably worked out already. So there was no family we could call on. We didn't have any friends up in Bolton. So after the interview, we went looking for a church. And quite nearby the health center where I'd had my interview, there was um, a church, and they had a big notice board outside. So we thought we'd read that. And we were intrigued by one particular notice on the board. It said, um, the ministers, all the congregation, assisted by the vicar. And we thought, yeah... That's the kind of church we want to be part of. So we banged on the vicar's door. He invited us in. He offered us a brew. We had no idea what a brew was, but learned it was a cup of tea later on. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we explained our situation and explained where we'd been, come from, and uh, you know, just got a job. We needed to find somewhere to live. And before we'd driven home and got back to Worthing in Sussex, to where we were staying with my mother, he'd arranged for a lady in the church um, who had a large house to accommodate us until we found somewhere to live. And she was happy to do this. She, the, the vicar knew this lady had the gift of hospitality. He knew that she'd come through a difficult divorce. So we stayed with her. And she was a great help to us. And we encouraged her. I think we did anyway. And the best bit about all of this is my, my new manager in the NHS knew our dilemma. They knew we needed to find somewhere to live quickly. And when I told her about the generosity of people from this local church. She was just amazed. And the vicar must have thought, job done. Because he'd enabled a church member to minister to angels. Well, maybe, you know what I mean. And the church was built up, encouraged. And those outside the church looked on and thought, these people, they really love each other. So Christ has given us gifts to share with one another so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the question is, are you using the gift that God has given you? Finally, the third thing that matters in this passage is maturity matters. So we're going to go back onto our building site. It's crowded and it's congested, but the right people are there. There are brickers, plasterers, electricians, plumbers, surveyors, foremen, and they've all got a role to play to complete the work that's been started. And that's just like the church. God's given us the gifts that the whole church needs to get the job done. And in our final verse, we get to see what the goal is. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the work continues until we become mature. How will that happen? As we reach unity in the faith and grow in our knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God. And the growth that Paul's talking about is both individually and us together as his body. We tend to emphasize here in the West sort of personal growth, but it's about growing together. So how can we achieve this maturity? I think it's about us holding on to a commitment to learning and to serving. Because, you know, some people are just committed to learning, just to reading their Bibles and listening to sermons. But, you know, they won't really mature in their faith if they're not serving as well. 
It's a bit like our physical bodies. We need both food and exercise. If we just eat, we get overweight and sluggish. We need to eat and exercise. So it is in the Christian life. We need to learn and serve. And those who just focus on serving, but don't actually receive any teaching, they become vulnerable to drifting away. Learning and serving, coming together, builds up the whole body to unity and maturity. So if you think you haven't got quite got the balance right, then talk to your growth leader, or come and talk to one of the wardens or to myself, and we can see how you can get more involved in the life of the church here. So this is the Apostles' vision for the church. It's a place where there's humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. We saw that last week. But it's also a place that we strive for unity in our faith as we celebrate the oneness that we have in Christ. It's a place where there's a diversity of people and a diversity of gifts where we serve one another. Finally, one last story to share with you to help us as we think about what the church is all about. There's one preacher that tells a story of how church is a bit like a football match. There are a small number of players on the pitch and they're frantically running around. They're under pressure. They look like they all need a rest. While up in the stands, the spectators are watching. Sometimes they're cheering, sometimes they're chunnering. But they're passive and some look like they could do with a bit of exercise. 22 players on the pitch and lots of people looking on. You know what? Church was never intended to be like that. So if you're a member of the church family, then you need to be on the pitch because you've got a part to play. And God has given you a gift to share. May each one of us know God's grace in our lives. May each one of us know that he's called us to be a minister, to minister to one another. And together, may we strive for maturity in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this picture of the church and for your purposes for the church to bring everything together under the lordship of Jesus. And this morning we bow to you, our King, and we pray, Lord, that you would build us as a local expression of your body, the church here in Broadgate. Lord, help us to be committed to one another, to serve one another, to use the gifts that you've given us to be committed to, to hearing from your word, to serving you, that we might grow in faith and love and unity and may be effective for you in reaching our communities, whether they be around this church or further afield. So we commit ourselves now to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>